Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 29. Ephesians 4, verse number 29. I want to speak tonight on the subject, the transformed tongue. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Few things, if anything, gets us into more trouble than our tongue. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about it. In James chapter number 3, and you don't need to turn there, I'm sure you're quite familiar with most of it, but there James is reminding us of the difficulty of controlling our tongue. I read about a man who was walking through an old English cemetery, and he was reading the inscriptions on the tombstones, and on this one particular tombstone that caught his attention, he come to the grave of someone by the name of Miss Arabella Young. And on her tombstone, he read this epitaph. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, I'm glad Arabella doesn't have any family members here tonight. I'm that... Well, sadly, a lot of folks have the same problem, and, you know, we just don't get it. I read about a woman that had offered to take her mother uh, to the doctor. And so she goes over to her mother's house, and as would have it, her mother is in a gossip session with the next-door neighbor. And they're going on and on, especially her mother's talking nonstop. And she said, Mom, Mom, we've got to go. And her mother couldn't even hear above all of the chatter. And so finally the woman, getting frustrated, took her by the arm and led her away and said, Mom, we've got to go. You're going to be late for the doctor's appointment. And so finally they get in the car and her mother said, I am so sorry. I didn't know what to do. That woman wouldn't stop listening to me. <laughs> Oh, wow. That, that's the way it is with a lot of people. Even though the Bible says that we are to be slow to speak, James 1.19, uh, a lot of folks just ignore that command and they pay no attention to what the Lord said concerning every idle word for which He said we must give an account in the day of judgment. Now think about that for a moment. The Lord is talking about us being accountable for every idle word that we speak. So that means that all of our words are significant. We're not at liberty to just jabber on and on and on without doing or saying something constructive. Now, as you look at our text tonight, I want you to notice that it naturally divides itself into two parts. In the first section, he speaks about the banishment of corrupt speech. In the second part, he speaks about the blessing of what I'm going to call Christian speech. And so those are the two thoughts that James sets, or that, that Paul sets before us. 
So let's look at the first, the banishment of corrupt speech. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt means rotten, putrefying, useless, worthless. And he says, let none of those things come out of your mouth. Now, the interesting thing is, is to notice that uh, the, the sins that's identified with this. Look just right ahead in verse 3 of chapter 5. And I want you to notice what he says here. Verse number 3 of chapter number 5. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks." Did you notice all of those horrible sins that that this is listed with here? And so it's no wonder that David said, as he prayed, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, and keep the door of my lips. Now, everything I've said so far addresses the fruit of the problem. Corrupt speech, our idle words. That's the fruit of the problem because the real problem, the root of it, is within. You'll remember Jesus said that it's out of the abundance of the heart that, that a man speaks. And, and so it's what is within us that determines what comes out our lips. So when we talk about getting rid of corrupt speech, we need to understand that can take many forms. It might be gossip. We could spend a lot of time on each one of these, but we don't need to. Gossip is just simply telling things that doesn't really need to be told. And a lot of people try to justify that by saying, well, you know, I'm just telling the truth. I'm not lying about it. It's the truth. But that doesn't mean that you ought to tell other people. We're not at liberty to tell everything we know about everybody we know. Gossip is corrupt speech and it'll be put away. Slander is another form of it. Slander is more than gossip. It's whenever you begin to verbally tear down the other person and maybe bring unsubstantiated charges against them. So there's gossip and slander, criticism, lying, cursing, and the list goes on and on. And and the thing about it is that every form of corrupt speech ends up hurting someone. And there's absolutely no telling how much damage has been done as a result of corrupt speech. One of the worst things that any parent can do is to do what every parent used to do, which is to teach their little children this stupid saying, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Don't ever teach that to your children. I'll tell you, sometimes words can hurt you a lot worse than sticks and stones. You know, listen, the wounds and the bruises can heal and go away, but sometimes the words can be so devastating they'll linger for years. So we need to think before we speak. In fact, someone came up with this acronym based on the word THINK. You might want to jot it down. THINK. The T 
says, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, I almost almost forgot how to spell here. N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Think before you speak. And if we just keep that in mind, it would help us a lot. A man by the name of famous writer, in fact, many, many years ago, by the name of William Norris, he wrote this little poem. He said, if your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. Oh, there's a ton of advice in that little ditty. But the fact of the matter is, these cute little sayings like that's not going to get us the victory. We'll never be able to control our tongue unless God is first controlling us. Remember what James said? He said that the tongue is an unruly member that no man can tame. So somebody says, well, if we can't, if we can't control the tongue, why even try? It's beyond our ability. Well, yeah, sure it is. But it's not beyond God's ability. So, James warns us in verse 9 of chapter 3 about those that use the same tongue to lie and to curse and then also to praise God. And he said, brethren, these things ought not to be. Now, I know we don't like to think about it, but people are watching us. Uh, you know, we get a bit irritated at times, don't we? Because somebody maybe is sitting in judgment of us and they criticize us and they're watching us. And you can't escape that fact. Just as you watch others, others are watching you. And they judge us a great deal based on the words that we say. And remember, words come from the heart. And so they sit in judgment of us. Now listen, before you get angry at them, you might stop and think about the fact that you're the one that gave them the evidence to arrive at that verdict. They call you a hypocrite because of the things that you say. Don't get angry with them because they're basing their assessment on the things that you've been saying. And they see you come to church on Sunday and you're singing Amazing Grace on the old rugged cross. And then you get out there in the world the rest of the week and you're telling your smutty jokes and telling lies and gossip and slander and all of those things. What do you think they're going to do? i tell you what they're going to do. They're going to brand you a hypocrite. It's exactly what they're going to do. So Paul is saying that we are to banish all, of, all the different forms of corrupt speech. We're to get rid of it. Now he turns 180 degrees, and whereas we banish the corrupt speech, the second thing he wants us to understand has to do with the blessings of Christian speech. He says, but, that is in contrast to the other, instead of doing the other, he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the his. Now, We could take the Bible and we could gather up all of the many verses related to this subject and we could speak for hours. I mean, 
listen, I, there's no telling how long we can spend just studying all of the different verses that has to do with the words that we speak. But instead of doing that, I'm going to stay right strictly with our text, what is said right here. Now, there are four things that I see in this one comment that we need to think about when we're talking about the blessings of Christian speech. So what constitutes Christian speech? If we're, if we're to get rid of the corrupt speech and we're to, you know, to speak as we should, you know, what are we going to say? Well, notice. First of all, our speech ought to be excellent. Notice he says, that which is good. That word good there means suitable or pleasant or agreeable or literally it means excellent. So he says, you know, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good, that which is excellent. And we live in a day when the line of distinction between right and wrong has been blurred and it's so common to hear speech that is rude and crude. I, uh, some time ago, was reading on somebody's blog, and I don't know how the subject came up, but it had to do with cursing. And, and this one particular preacher has now brought it into the pulpit, and he, of course, he's got some followers. Some of his little hero worshipers running around over the country, and they think it's really cute to get up into the pulpit and use some language that up until this point in time in our society has been totally taboo, off limits. Why in the world would you want to even do something like that? I mean, even if there was some way that you could justify the use of that word in certain particular instances, why in the world would you want to incorporate it into your preaching and raise the question about your own sincerity? It doesn't make sense, but listen, hardly ever does the natural man make any sense. And a lot of people don't even know how to be civil. They, you know, and they turn around and then they make matters worse. They brag about, well, I mean, I speak my mind. I, you know, I'm, I, I'm just blunt. That's just the way that I am. And they talk about it like it's really a good thing. You should admire me. You ought to pat me on the back because, boy, when you get around me, you're going to hear the truth whether you like it or not. Well. My Bible still says the fool uttereth all of his mind, so just go ahead and help yourself. But you're not making yourself look good when you do that. Christians ought to use wholesome words. They certainly should never be telling coarse, crude jokes that, you know, that something that's going to be questionable. So, first of all, our speech ought to be excellent. Secondly... It ought to be essential. Maybe you want to underline these words there in that verse. Notice the words, to the use. To the use. That which is good or excellent, to the use. The Greek word translated the use means needful or necessary. I had a teacher many years ago, and you know how kids are with... Always somebody tattling on somebody else. You know, he, he pulled my hair. He 
stole my notebook or, you know, he moved my chair or whatever. And that teacher would interrupt and, and ask this question, is this really necessary? <laughs> is it really necessary that you, that you tell this? You know, that'd be a good thing for all of us to do. Whenever we think about saying something, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is it really necessary that I say this or that I give out this information? Because a lot of people are prone to say things that are just absolutely unnecessary, things that would be better off left unsaid. It might be true, and it might not be classified as something bad, but it doesn't serve any good purpose. Remember, let's go back to what Jesus said about every idle word. And some people just, well, they talk all day and never say anything whatsoever of value. You know, I, uh, talking's fine. I, I, I remember when we moved to Tennessee years ago. I, I gotta tell you, I'd, I'd never been around Tennessee people before. And we went to Walmart, and uh, oh, my land, we got down to Walmart. And you know, listen, I'm from the hills of Missouri, the Ozarks, and we're pretty countrified there. But we're in a hurry about it for the most part. And we get to Tennessee, and we go into a Walmart, and uh, I mean, it wasn't 30 seconds till I thought maybe maybe this this checkout lady knew us from somewhere. I mean, she struck up a conversation. After a while, there's people in line back there, and she's just talking and going on and on, and she'll check a few groceries, and she'll stop, and she'll talk, and then she'll get animated and go on and on and on. Uh, Well, (laughs) some people are like that. They just keep talking and talking and talking. I I don't know. Now, listen, I I realize that whenever I was a teenager, you know, Bev and I could spend a lot of time on the telephone way back then. But back then we had party lines, so you didn't want to talk on the telephone a whole lot. You know, no more than you had to. It's more like I'll pick you up in an hour or so. We'll talk about it then. But uh, because you knew you was going to have somebody listening into the conversation. But to just sit and chat and talk, uh, wow. I don't get it. Well, we need to spend our time talking about things that, you know, that are of use and beneficial. And and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, because sometimes, sometimes one of the best things that we can do in conversation is to sit and talk about the interest of other people and things of that nature. And it might be something you're not interested in, but that doesn't mean that the conversation you know, is is idle words. It doesn't mean that at all. And so I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. In other words, whenever we're speaking, we all have some kind of a goal or mission in mind that in our communication with other people that we want to be a blessing. And that brings us to the next point. Our speech ought to be excellent, number one. It ought to be essential. It ought to serve some use. Number three, notice what he says. It ought to be edifying, of edifying. That, that word edifying means building or building up. And it simply means that our words ought to meet the needs of other people. Now, if I am to speak words that are edifying, if I'm going to build up people, that means that in order to meet their need, I've got to know something about their need. Right? That means, number one, that I've got to be discerning. 
And number two, I've got to be sensitive to what, uh, what their needs are and what their feelings are. And so how do we do that? Well, the best starting place is, is listening to them. Sometimes the best conversation is not what you say, but what others are saying to you is they're maybe in a very veiled way that's not obvious. They're literally pouring out their heart to you. Edifying words. So let's think about some words that edify. You can make a list, right? Because you know what helps you. You know what encourages you. In the first place, words that express love. Who in the world ever gets tired of hearing somebody say, I love you? We never get tired of that, do we? And we ought to never get out of the habit of expressing our love for each other. Here's the sad thing. The sad thing is that some people leave other people in the dark as to how they feel about them. They never tell them. They're, they're, I'm not about to, you know, I'm, I'm not about to tell him how I really feel about him. That's really sad. To think that you would intentionally just leave somebody in the dark as to how you feel about them. Not only words of love, but words of appreciation. Do you know anybody that doesn't like to be appreciated? Do you know anybody that doesn't do a better job when they're working under a sense that people appreciate me than otherwise? I mean, you know, just knowing that somebody appreciates what I do, that is encouraging to absolutely everyone. Then there are words of encouragement. You know, it's one, it's, listen, it's one thing to say, I really appreciate what you do. I really appreciate this about you or that about you. But it's another thing for us to speak words that, that are designed to encourage people. And one of the biggest mistakes parents make is that habit we get into of criticizing and correcting our children over absolutely everything. And after a while, we leave the impression, well, they come home with a report card, and here it is, and they hand it to us, and we look at it, and it says, B+. And the first thing we want to know is, why why didn't you get an A? I mean, that's good, but you could have done better. You know, that's one of the most discouraging things that you can imagine. And we need to speak words of encouragement to other people. Kids aren't the only ones that need encouragement. We all need it. Life is tough and everybody needs somebody to encourage them. And here's the thing about it. We never outgrow our need for encouragement. You can be eight or 80, but you still need somebody to encourage you. Bev and I went off to the missions conference. We left Monday and got there and saw people hadn't seen in years. I was telling Brother Nolan and Joanne, we saw some preachers we hadn't seen in 30 years. Think about it, 30 years that I hadn't seen some of those preachers. And so it was a great time. And I've got to tell you, I was absolutely shocked. I was not prepared for what I heard in regards to morning manna. I mean, it seemed like nearly every preacher that came up said, Oh, by the way, 
I really appreciate that. Some of them come up and said, I use that nearly every week. I, I, I take one of them and put it in the bulletin every week, our church bulletin. And boy, I mean, I was floating on a cloud by the time we left. That was really encouraging. So we get back home. I don't know why computers do this, but we get back home and I've had the computer off all, all of this time. And I turned it back on. And I, everything's wrong. I mean, it won't send email. It won't receive email. It, I, everything imaginable is wrong. And, and, and I'm, I just got to tell you the honest truth. I just thought to myself, why in the world am I spending all of this time trying to do this? I mean, it just, I, I just forget it. I'm... And about the time I get that kind of an attitude, the Lord reminds me of something somebody said. And not just those fellows there at the missions conference, many of you that have said such kind things about that. And I think, man, I can't quit. I can't quit that if I want to. I mean, if I I have to trash that computer and get to know whatever I got, I can't quit, you, you see. Now, let me tell you, I'm not the only one that gets discouraged at times. We all do. We all do. And we need to be encouragers. Barnabas, the encourager. That's what we need to be. Well, let's go on. How about gentle words? Remember when Paul is speaking about spirit-filled Christians and he talks about gentleness. Remember, Jesus commanded us to be harmless as doves. You know... Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Well, sometimes we're mean as, stu- as snakes instead of, instead of wise as serpents. And, and he said, but harmless as, as a dove. And talking about gentleness. And then there are patient words. First Corinthians chapter 13, Paul speaks about the characteristics of love. And one of those characteristics is patience. And a lot of times the things that we say reveal our impatience. And then there are kind words. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that love is kind. And we ought to say things that, you know, that are kind. And in other words, here's somebody that maybe they failed, and maybe, maybe at that point you can't find anything to say to them expressing appreciation or patting them on the back, saying, man, you're doing a great job. Maybe they're doing a lousy job. It might be they just tried to do something and fell flat on their face and they failed. What do you think we ought to do? What should our response ought to be? We need to say something kind. Like, that's okay, I've done the same thing myself. You know, that'd be a good thing to say, would it not? Wouldn't that encourage someone? So kind words. Just a few more, but listen carefully. Here's something else that we can do that is to the edifying of others, and that's corrective words. And few people know how to do this. The Bible tells us that friends will do this, and the Bible also tells us how we ought to do this. It should always be done in a spirit of humility. Never thinking that we are superior to the other person. But because we care about the other person, there are times that if we do it the right way, 
that we just get alone with some dear friend that we love and kind of take them under our wings, so to speak, and say, look, I love you, and because I love you, I, 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 need, I need to say this. Now, you be, listen, you better use wisdom and you better do it right or you'll end up doing a lot more damage than good. So if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. But there is a place for corrective words. Not only that, I'm going to give you two more ways that we can use our tongue to edify, build up other people. How about prayer? You know, a lot of times when people come to you with their problems, you, you, you just have to say, wow, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. When I went to work for the Missouri State Highway Department many years ago, I'll never forget the day that my boss took me out to the job site, and before he let me out, he said, I want to talk to you a little while before I go in and introduce you to the other guys and leave you here. And he said, the main thing that you need to know is never pretend that you know something you don't. If somebody asks a question and you don't know the answer, just tell them I don't know the answer. Don't guess at it. Well... Sometimes the best thing we can do is say, I'm so sorry. I I don't know what to do. I I, I don't have an answer for that. And maybe put your hand on the shoulder and say, but would you mind if I would pray with you or for you? That's a good way to use the tongue, is it not? In prayer. And then another way, the last one I'll mention, has to do with Scripture. There are a lot of times that the best thing that we can say is what God has already said. Telling other people what the Bible says, nothing's going to help them any more than that. So let's go back to our text and notice again what Paul says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Banish that, but that which is good, that's excellent, to the use, it is essential, of edifying, and here's the fourth thing, Christian speech extends grace, extending grace, that it may minister grace unto the His. We've been saved by grace, secured by grace, supplied by grace, Strengthened by grace, we ought to speak words of grace to spread grace. You know, the point is that our words should bless those that hear them. That's exactly the way Jesus spoke. If you go back to Luke chapter number 4, you'll see that that's true. That's the way that we ought to speak. Just turn over, if you would, a few pages to Colossians and I want you to notice what Paul says in chapter 4 and verse number 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. That pretty well covered it all, right? 
Always, at all times, in every situation, he says, let your speech be with grace. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking just like I do sometimes, you know, <laughs> they don't deserve it. They need a tongue lashing. They don't need, they, they don't need some kind of kind word. I, I mean, I, I just need to, you know, get in their face and tell it like it is. Uh, but by the way, we don't deserve grace either, do we? So it's not a matter of us giving them what they deserve, but rather it's a matter of being gracious. I'll just sum it up with this statement. Our speech is not Christian speech unless it does these four things I've just mentioned. Think about that. Banish corrupt speech. Avoid anything that's going to hurt and tear down and destroy. And speak only that which expresses the grace of God to other people. And of course, the best thing we could ever, the best way we could ever use our tongue is what? Tell others about Jesus. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we stay busy doing that, we won't have much time to gossip about the faults of our neighbor. Let's stand. Father, tonight, I pray you'll forgive me, and I'm sure every person here tonight could say the same thing. The many, many times that, that I've misused the tongue, and Lord, it might not have even been the words that I said, but maybe the tone that I used or the expression on my face or whatever, the impression that I left with others. And Lord, I, 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 I'm sorry, not only sorry for their sake, but Lord, sorry that I disappointed you and let you down and failed you. And whenever I think about the tongue, I realize that I, that I have a struggle that I can never win personally. And I'm going to fail not just a few times, but many times. And the only time that I'll really be able to succeed and speak that which is edifying are those times that, that ahead of time I surrendered myself to you. And I allowed you to use me to help somebody else. I pray you'll help us to have more times like that. In Jesus' name, while we sing.